everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. How are you doing? How are you feeling? Those mundane questions, which are normally kind of the things you ask people when you see them and you greet them, have taken on such significance in the last couple of weeks and such emotional poignance. I found myself this weekend sitting around thinking about how we will eventually get back to a space where maybe we can do those things in public, where we can greet people in public and say hello to our neighbors and welcome our friends to our homes. These are the strangest times that I have ever experienced, and I think that's true for most of us, that there was never any inkling that something like this would happen in our lives. And we're still trying to adjust to it. We're still trying to get used to the idea of being away from everyone, of being in home, at home, indoors all the time, of not being able to do most of the things that we consider to be normal. But we're getting through it, and we're getting through it together. And even as we count the losses, the losses that mount every day here in the city of Detroit and around the country, I think we are all still thinking about the day when this ends, the day when we go back to a space that's better and more connected than where we are. And I think that's what is getting all of us through at this point. That as well as opportunities like this show, every day, this convening that we still maintain to be able to come together and connect a little and talk about the issues that are dominating our lives at this point, but also just to feel that connection with each other, to feel like we are human again and not completely separated from each other. And so, again, I say good day now each day on this program to welcome everybody because each day that we're here, each day that we're able to do this is indeed a good day. As I said at the top, call and tell us how you're doing. Give us a call. Tell us what's going on in your life because of the coronavirus pandemic, how you're adjusting to all of the things that are changing, how your children are adjusting to all of the things that they have lost over the last few weeks in terms of what their lives used to look like. Uh, We want to make sure that people who are listeners to this show feel like this is a place that they can come together and just talk, just talk about what's going on, and how they're managing. We aren't going anywhere. This program is still on the air. We'll be on the air. I'm in the studio here every day, just like I normally would be. And we want to make sure that you continue to feel the connection with us here on the show and with each other. So give us a call. Tell us how you're doing. We always want to hear about that. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Up first today, all of us are feeling the effects of this coronavirus pandemic. Some of us are feeling the individual financial impact. Small businesses are struggling and entire communities are trying to figure out how to keep people safe. There are two real crises at hand. The first, of course, is safety and the literal survival of the people we love, our friends, our families. But the other is financial, and that's where we want to start the show today with a look at how communities are weathering this economic storm 
and what it could mean for cities across the country who come out on the other side of this pandemic only to be met by the prospect of insolvency. And that's something we know a lot about right here in Detroit. Joining us now for this conversation is Adam Harris, who recently wrote about this very topic for The Atlantic. Adam Harris, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you so much for having me. So let's start with you setting the scene for us as far as what's happening in cities across the country amid this pandemic. We are seeing up close here in Detroit the strain that's being put on city resources, a city that was still getting back up off its knees after uh, a bankruptcy just six years ago, uh, is now being pushed back in that direction by unbelievable asks of it uh, because of this pandemic. Detroit is not alone, though. Give us an idea of what's going on in cities across the country. Yeah, so so a couple of weeks ago, I spoke with um, New York City control, controller uh, Scott Stringer, um, and he had just recently come out with an analysis that essentially said that New York City stood to lose about $4.8 billion to $6 billion in tax revenue. And that was going to be on top of um, kind of some of the, the money that they were, additional money that they were already spending to um, for the extra patients in hospitals and, and, and different things that they were doing in order to make sure that the continued study t- continued to run as it was shutting down. Um, and that $4.8 billion uh, is money that helps fund things like schools and repairing roads and, and also paying off debts, which, which is a big thing, um, particularly just thinking about the municipal bond market and how um, kind of that municipal debt would factor into things like potential insolvency. So, um, you know, cities and counties kind of across the country are, are, are kind of looking for ways to uh, kind of cut their budgets um, as this tax revenue and economic activity is is declining. Um, and, you know, a couple of weeks ago, the, the, the bond market essentially froze. So people weren't buying into the market. It was going to be more expensive for cities to kind of take on some of this debt. And, um, you know, these, these bonds that were typically pretty safe things um, were uh, frozen in a way that, that was kind of unprecedented. Mm. And cities before this all happened were not in the best shape to try to deal with something like this anyway. I mean, if you think about the pattern in terms of the way that cities are funded, in terms of the investments uh, that they might attract from from state governments, from the federal government. Those things were in critical condition before coronavirus, and it seems as though that set cities up to be in even worse shape once something like this actually happened. Absolutely. So cities, um, of course, cities are required to um, run a balanced budget, and a lot of cities were already looking at at some of these kind of austerity measures. So, so looking at raising taxes, looking at cutting costs in different places, in order to um, maintain their budgets. Um, and, and then you have to. I mean, it's one thing to be a New York City and be doing that, but it's another thing to be, you know, one of the smaller cities or, or counties that, um, you know, may have a local hospital and may run a nursing home, and is also in kind of dire financial shape. Um, and picking counties out. And Pickens County, Alabama, for example, um, there was a uh, they had a, a hospital that just had to close, um, and it was because the, the it, it wasn't financially sustainable. Um, so that was their local hospital, and now residents have to drive either to Mississippi or to uh, 45 minutes away um, north to Tus- near Tuscaloosa in order to go to the hospital. Um, and so that just kind of shows that, that you know, 
pretty dire financial situation that, that some both rural and, and um, uh, urban cities were, were already kind of dealing with. And then you have something um, that's kind of a global economic shock that, that really um, just jars the entire system. So the stimulus package that just passed in Congress has some help for cities. I wonder what you make of that help and whether you think it's going to be enough. Yeah, so so the bill, uh, it's it's the largest uh, stimulus package in, in history. It's $2 trillion um, and includes $150 billion for state counties and municipal governments um, to kind of help uh, with, with any expenses that, that spring from the crisis. But it, it seems, you know, just kind of at the outset that, that everyone kind of knew that it would not be enough. Um, this one-time injection of funds was not going to be enough to help cities in the long run, because there is the short-term crisis where um, cities were dealing with the kind of the frozen municipal market and they were um, trying to get get supplies immediately. So, so they needed help immediately, but they're also going to need help down the road because this could have a short tail or it could have a long tail. And if it has a long tail, then there will need to be another package because the cities will be kind of clamoring for more relief. You already see cities that are still clamoring for, for relief uh, as, as the crisis grows. And if there isn't more help or if this pandemic stretches on for a longer period of time than even we're anticipating at this point, I mean, are we looking at cities having to file bankruptcy? Are we looking at insolvency, actual insolvency, like we experienced here in Detroit in in, in other cities? For some cities, that could be the case. Um, and as, as uh, Daniel Bergstresser, professor at um, Brandeis University, told me, it's, it's going to be different kind of across the market. You know, there if there are cities, um, affluent communities that have enough cash on hand to kind of deal with the crisis, so it's not going to hit the entire sweep of cities and counties in the same way, but it's a lot like people, right? A lot of people are experiencing this crisis in a different way. If you have um, a decent amount of money in the bank and you are able to weather um, a job loss or something of the sort, then then you may well be fine um, as long as you stay healthy. Um, But for someone who is already in an economically distressed situation, um, it could be a very kind of devastating, it could have a devastating economic impact. Mm. I'm talking with Adam Harris, staff writer at The Atlantic, about a recent piece he wrote about uh, how the coronavirus pandemic is putting pressure on cities financially and perhaps pushing some cities to the brink of insolvency. Uh, If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Tell us uh, if you're worried about the survival of your local community. Is there a favorite small business where you live that you're trying to support? Uh, If you're personally impacted by the Detroit bankruptcy, call and tell us one piece of advice you'd give to others who might be facing that reality in the future. Uh, Also, give us a call and tell us what you think your local municipal government is doing or how it's doing uh, in the face of this pandemic. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Also, remember, as always right now, we are taking your calls just about how you're doing and how all of this is affecting you. What's different in your life? What's changed for you? What's changed for your children? And sort of how are you getting through all of this? This is such a different experience for all of us. Uh, Again, 313-577-1019. 
is the number on the phones. Let's start with Ed in Detroit. Ed, welcome to the program. Yes. Um, I have been worried that Detroit's future was problematic under the best of circumstances. Um, and my question for your guest is, has there been any conversation in Washington about permitting either the Fed or the Treasury to create a special facility to buy state and local government debt so that they can, in effect, transfer these these expenses to um, to to the national treasury. Mm. Interesting question, Ed. Adam Harris, talk about that approach to uh, to the bigger question. I think of of municipal solvency. That's not just about coronavirus, but uh, but the debt that that cities and and states find themselves in in normal times. Yeah, so the Federal Reserve um, on the 20th uh, essentially said that it, it would extend its asset purchase program um, to include uh, short-term municipal bonds, um, so kind of buying um, some of that some of that debt that, that cities have. Um, but I think that the thing here is um, it's like there is always going to be this question of how much does can the Fed do or how much will the Fed be able to do in order to alleviate some of this? Because um, as, as Matt Chase, the executive director of the National um, Association of Counties, uh, told me, you know, this is this is hitting even the, the counties that were in the most secure position and the cities in the most secure position. So Harris County, Texas, for example, um, expects, expects to spend about $11 million more each month than than um, it had initially anticipated, and that's not even accounting for the overtime, um, pri- or the overtime pay for police officers and and, and things like um, lost tax revenue. So so this is something that is is, is really kind of hammering cities, and it's it's going to make some uh, going to make decision making a, a lot more difficult for cities that were already kind of looking at, at cutting budgets. And right. I mean, uh, municipal debt is is also a way that cities sometimes get through and and figure out a, a way to keep things running while revenue is maybe flat or, or, or decreasing. Is, is it possible that there will be opportunities for cities to access debt, maybe special kinds of debt because of this pandemic, low interest debt or, or, or other more favorable terms as a way of trying to give them relief? I mean, is that one of the things that, that we could see uh, the Treasury try to try to spearhead, or maybe even maybe even the big banks could uh, could come up with something like that. Yeah, well, the um, the next iteration of a stimulus package, um, the, and the federal government is looking. So both the, the White House and and Congress are both looking at this next iteration of stimulus being centered around infrastructure. Um, so of course, one of the things that municipal debt helps do is to, for cities to to build out their infrastructure. So, so there could be something there that kind of helps um, kind of get an injection of, of life into cities. Um, you know, infrastructure projects, of course, create jobs and different things like that. So um, there is kind of discussion around that. Um, but, of course, it, it's kind of still a little too early to, to tell because uh, the Senate, of course, is out on recess until April 20th, and so is the, the House of Representatives. So yeah. um, unless something kind of dramatic in the way of what we saw last month happen, um, it'll it'll still be a little while until we, we figure out what exactly that looks like. 
Yeah. I also wonder what this means for rural areas. I mean, we talk a lot on this show about cities because we are in one of the largest cities in the in the country. But municipal municipal government in rural areas has taken a, a beating, too, in terms of local revenue as well as revenue that's shared with the state or coming from the federal government. I wonder what the picture under the current pandemic looks like for them and whether it's similar to what we see in in bigger cities. Yeah, it is. It is relatively similar to what you're seeing in bigger cities. But I think the the, the wrinkle for for small cities and rural areas um, is that you know you may not have a a grocery store in the in the city where my my family's from in York, Alabama. They had a Piggly Wiggly, and then um, eight months later, the Piggly Wiggly was gone, and now they have to drive 25 minutes to get to the nearest grocery store. Um, they you know, there may not be a hospital in the county, so they're having to drive further to go to work and they're having to drive further to go to the hospital and nursing homes. Um, and, and nursing homes are, are being particularly hard hit by this crisis. Um, one of the first places in the country to have a, a large outbreak was at a nursing home in Seattle, and there were 129 COVID-19 cases linked to that single nursing home in Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and and as I mentioned, nursing homes are already running tight budget. So so this is a really um it, it's putting real stress on on rural governments and um and the counties that that support them. And um of course as as a lot of experts have told me that it will be a it'll be necessary very soon to to have another kind of significant um injection of funds if the um, crisis continues to spiral at the at the rate that it's going. You know, I also wonder at what point this becomes a reason, not that there weren't sufficient reasons before, but perhaps a more urgent reason, to, to begin rethinking some of the ways in which we finance uh, local government. Uh, we, we've talked in Michigan for a long time about how the, the, the current way that we fund cities, which is largely off of uh, property taxes and income taxes is is a little antiquated and and has not sustained cities quite the way that we might have imagined that they would have in, in years past. If this pandemic goes on and has the effect that that we think it might, I, I think you have to wonder if it if it inspires a more serious conversation about how we finance cities, which is which is a big picture problem. That of course is coming uh, very clear to us right now, but won't go away even after uh, after coronavirus is is long gone. Yeah, I think that the, the this crisis is really making the nation rethink um, kind of a lot of fundamental things about itself. Um, kind of rethinking because right now, essentially, what we're doing is building the social safety net as people are falling through. And um, it, it's kind of going to be the same thing for cities. It's trying to, to build this infrastructure as cities are, are flailing and falling. Um, so I think that this is kind of ushering on this fundamental reassessment of, of, of what the government's role is in um, ensuring the, the um, stability of its citizens and also um, its, its cities and counties. Yeah. Okay, Adam Harris, staff writer at The Atlantic. It was really great to have you here for this conversation. Thanks for being with us. Thanks so much for having me.
Up next, we're going to take a look at if and how Detroit specifically will weather this storm brought on by the coronavirus. And we want to continue to hear from you. Give us a call. Tell us what you think about the coronavirus and the way it is affecting local governments. Also, just give us a call. Tell us how you are doing during this pandemic. 313-577-1019 is always the number on the phone. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. WDET, Detroit's NPR station, celebrating 70 years of radio in Detroit. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. We're talking right now about the effect of coronavirus and all of the things it's asking governments to do on local government. How much can they burden? How much of this burden can they shoulder? How much can they do without going back to the brink of insolvency, which is where we were here in the city of Detroit just six or seven years ago? Uh, we were talking at, from about it from a national perspective in the first segment. Now we want to take a closer look at Detroit in particular, and here to help us do that is Chad Livengood, who is a senior editor at Crane's Detroit Business. Chad, welcome to Detroit Today. Good to talk with you, Stephen. Uh, so we spoke with Governor Whitmer on Friday about the looming dangers for cities' budgets, and she didn't give us a whole lot of specifics about what she's thinking about to make sure that we don't end up with huge financial crises in these cities. Do you sense that the administration or lawmakers are thinking much about this right now? Is this part of their focus? Well, it, it certainly is, is taking, uh, it's the focus of the appropriations chairman uh, in the legislature. Just for context right now, the state treasury using various models is projecting somewhere between a one to $3 billion impact to the state budget this fiscal year before October 1st or September 30th, the last day of the fiscal year. So, and then for the next fiscal year, another one to four billion dollars of potential lost revenue, depending on the, on how long this uh, uh, you know, economic crisis that has been brought on by this public health crisis lasts. And so that's going to trickle down to the to the city level, uh, where you know cities are already basically had stagnant funding for much of the past decade, as far as in terms of state funding and and also property taxes because. Property tax values have not uh, risen anywhere near with the cost of inf- uh, cost of inflation and, and the rising cost that cities face. And, and this is an inherently larger issue we have in our in our taxing system. But I think it's going to probably show up here, and maybe even more magnified than we saw after the Great Recession. So, so who made those ep- estimates about the 1.3 billion dollars by September 30th? I mean, that's a staggering number when you consider with the overall budget that we generally have to play with in, in, in Lansing is only about $10 billion. Where did that estimate come from? So this comes from the state, state treasury department. It's one, two, three billion dollars. So one, up, one to, up three. to three billion. Yeah. 
so this is this is basically taking account both the school aid fund and the general fund. So the general fund is closer to 11 billion now. The school aid fund is about 15 billion. So mm-hmm. take one to one to up to three billion out of a 25 billion dollar pot of money. That's going to be a pretty big impact, especially since the rainy day fund the state has is about 1.2 billion dollars. So there's. There's, there is certainly a fund, a savings account that's been ba- built up by the previous administration uh, that can be that can be used. This is clearly a rainy day, mm-hmm. uh, but it won't last, and, and it won't it won't uh, you know uh, it'll just be a very short term cushion if this uh, you know economic crisis and downturn uh, rolls into into the new fiscal year starting October first. So if the state is in that kind of jeopardy in terms of cost and in terms of missing its own budget projections. What, what does that mean at the municipal level? And what does that mean for help with cities? I mean, if the state is itself in, in, in bad shape, it seems less likely that they will be an effective rescuer for places like Detroit. Yeah, so right now Detroit's uh, uh, chief financial officer's office is, is projecting um, a $250 million loss over two fiscal years um, in, in revenue, which amounts to about 12.5% um, of the city's revenue. Mm-hmm. And just for perspective, right now, the city has been losing uh, for sure $600,000 per day in casino taxes with the three casinos shut down. That amounts to $12 million that, that, have been, that has been lost in, in casino tax revenue for the last 20 days that the casinos have been closed. Um, and obviously, if that goes on longer, it'll be even worse. This, this is a pretty significant piece of the, of the, uh, of the uh, city's general fund. Um, as you might recall, during the bankruptcy, much of the bankruptcy uh, legal proceedings was fought over. Um, uh, initially, it's fought over trying to uh, secure this money because the creditors were trying to capture it. Uh, from the city uh, in in the uh, infamous cops and swaps uh, bad pension debt deal, mm-hmm. um, and so the city went to, to a lot of lengths to fight to to, to keep this this money uh, unencumbered uh, and out of the hands of creditors. Um, and now this this you know stable stable revenue source is not coming in on a, on a you know month, weekly monthly basis right now, and that's 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 the first immediate impact. Then you got income tax. Um, the city is very dependent upon in, income tax because of its low property values, and because of the reassessments that we did in the last few years to to make those property values and property tax assessments more in line with the true true value of, of homes and another real pro- property. Um, so now, now you, you're, you're a city that's very dependent on income tax, and, and Detroit's not alone. There are 21, 22 other cities in the state that have income taxes. I mean, they're as small as Portland, mm-hmm. um, and, and they're also as, as, as poor as Flint. Um, and, and so they, there are other cities that are going to be wrestling with this exact same problem that Detroit faces. Um, but overall, I mean, you take a, a quarter of a billion dollars out of two fiscal years, um, and you're going to see an impact in municipal services, I'm sure. Mm. 
My guest is Chad Livengood. He's a senior editor at Crane's Detroit Business, and we're talking about the financial impact of the coronavirus pandemic on governments, on state government, on local governments, and we're wondering what will have to be done in order to keep both solvent, uh, especially if this goes on for any longer period of time than we are already anticipating. If you would like to join the conversation, give us a call and tell us what you think about government response to the coronavirus pandemic. Also give us a call. Let us know if you're worried about your city's ability to respond to this and then come out the other side without going broke, without going to insolvency, which is where we were here in the city of Detroit in the middle of the last decade. Uh, What do you think the state ought to be doing? What do you think the federal government ought to be doing to make sure that cities don't go broke trying to respond to this? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll try to work you into the conversation. Also, give us a call and just tell us how you're doing. Tell us what all of this looks like in your world. The isolation, the social distancing, the keeping kids home from school, uh, having everyone in the same house all day, every day. How is that going? Uh, how How are you managing with all of these changes that have been forced upon us in such a tight window of time and that will be with us, we think, for quite a bit of time into the future. Also give us a call and tell us what the financial impact perhaps of coronavirus is on you and your family or your small business, which we know small businesses are really struggling right now. Uh, Again, the number on the phones here is always 313-577-1019. Chad, is there anything that that the state can do to try to sort of minimize the long-term damage from all of this? Our, our previous guest, Adam Harris, and I were talking about how cities and city funding are all kind of precarious right now anyway, and that cities are really struggling. Is there any opportunity here to have a conversation about doing all of this differently so that cities aren't in this kind of precarious position to begin with? Yeah, I mean, certainly that that is, uh, there's been a lot of people who have been advocating to try to get that conversation and debate going in Lansing about reforming the uh, municipal uh, uh, revenue um, to, to create different uh, ways that municipalities can, create, can raise revenue. One of the most common talked about ideas is, is localized sales taxes. This has been talked about mostly lately in, in relation to the road funding debate to maybe perhaps allow a, a county uh, or a couple of counties like Macomb, Oakland, and Wayne to pass their own sales tax uh, that would be maybe a half a penny or even a quarter of a penny. Uh, this is very, very common in other states. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked in Missouri for a while earlier in my career uh, where they had some 2,000 different taxing jur- dirt jurisdictions for, for sales tax. Uh, you could have a, a city, one city block basically have its own sales tax and tax all the uh, merchant add, add on a sales tax onto the merchants on that city block. Uh, that have you know high volume of, of customers and retail sales, and use that money towards some dedicated municipal use. So that is a very commonly discussed idea. Um, it would take a, uh, 
moving a lot of mountains uh, in Lansing to happen. Um, but uh, I, I wouldn't expect to see that any time in the uh, in the very you know near future at this point. And just an earlier point to the to the city's the city of Detroit's finances a, a, a month ago today, uh, which seems like like a decade now. Um, Mayor Mike Duggan uh, pitched his 2.2 billion dollar spending plan for the next fiscal year, and he called it the, the tightest budget yet. Uh, that the city is going to face. This is before, you know, the, the upheaval of the coronavirus um, and, and the shutdown of businesses and, and, and halting of, of most forms of commerce. So uh, that that is really kind of a telling, you know, the city of Detroit was already kind of hitting kind of a plateau, it seemed, and, and going to be basically dealing with um, just cutting costs. They were they were ordering agents, depart, state department or city departments to to cut back on certain costs while trying to also fund more money for the police department to hire more uh, officers and get them on the streets. So um, these were already uh, balancing tricks that, that the Duggan administration was was facing just just 30 days ago, and now it's going to be a, a monumentally bigger challenge. Yeah. Let's go to Chris in Detroit. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Stephen. Yeah, so I'm really glad that you all are having this conversation this morning because it's definitely something that's been on my mind, you know, living here in the city of Detroit. I've seen Detroit in worse worse times than it has been recently, and uh, I'd like to see the momentum keep going, and it's going to be difficult to do that without a solid tax base. And um, I think this illustrates the need to have a more rational discourse about the balancing act that government is going to have to play here in balancing the need to reopen parts or as much of the economy as possible so that we can start having tax revenue flowing back to municipalities um, versus just sheltering in place because, you know, there's risk of the coronavirus. And, you know, and I don't say that because, you know, I, I'm a denier of the reality of the situation with the coronavirus or that, you know, I definitely think that, you know, executive leadership from the White House and terrible messaging from the beginning has sort of created this poison pill where it's hard to really believe anything that Trump says when he talks about, you know, things like getting the economy back up and running. Mm-hmm. But the reality is we do have to balance both because, you know, um, from, you know, a, a health of the, the, the local economy and, and state and local governments standpoint, school funding, um, you know, and, you know, just in general, public health funding that isn't just related to fighting the coronavirus moving forward. All these things are going to need tax dollars. And, um, you know, we, we have to have a more rational conversation about the need to be able to get things back up and running in a safe way but also one that, you know, is really, frankly, expeditious. I feel like in a lot of ways, because, you know, because Trump's messaging has been so poor all along about this this topic, now when he talks about balancing the needs of the economy and, you know, the coronavirus fight, you know, people essentially, if you don't like Trump, then you're saying, you know, you don't want to get the economy back up and running. And I don't think that that's a really genuine way to approach this. Yeah. Thanks Chris, for taking my call. Chris, I really appreciate the call and the, and the comments. I think uh, uh, that, uh, that, that question about balance is very difficult to answer right now because we are still in the thick of the, 
the health threat here. I mean, the 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 virus is still spreading at such a, a fast rate and a dangerous rate that it is really hard, I think, to have a, a conversation about when we get back to regular commerce. But but Chad Livingood, talk about whether that element has creeped into the conversation about governments and government support. Uh, it certainly has, and you see this right now playing out in the legislature. Um, the House and Senate are planning to hold a an extraordinary session tomorrow mm-hmm. to vote on a resolution on extending the governor's emergency powers. Uh, she had asked for uh, the legislature to approve a 70-day extension. Looks like they're going to give her a 23-day extension to get get through the end of the month. Um, and but they're going to some extraordinary lengths to hold a session. There's a lot of debate about that. At the same time, there are there are different areas of the state where this is not hitting and impacting as much as as it is here in in Metro Detroit. And so you have a political dynamic where outstate uh, legislators are um, chomping the bit to be back to work uh, or to be involved in some way, um, providing uh, oversight of the of the, uh, the governor and her administration, uh, as is the duty of the legislature. Um, but they, the, the the public health threat has not nearly subsided, and and all the projections coming right from the White House uh, are that the next two weeks are going to be um, worse than the last two weeks, um, and that's that's really um, where there's a there's a kind of a big, huge clash right now among the leadership of the state about how to how to basically govern for the next two weeks. Yeah. Okay, Chad Livingood, senior editor at Crane's Detroit Business. It's always great to have you here with us. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Up next, we're going to talk about power during the pandemic with Jerry Narcia, who is the CEO of DTE Energy. Stay with us. Detroit today.